Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. For this podcast, today's guest is Shannon Quayne. Shannon is a senior executive leader with experience across all levels of government. As the chief of HR for a Queensland government department, she isn't your typical chief HR officer as she started her career as a sports scientist and brings a different lens to the typical issues that organisations face. She isn't afraid of a tough challenge and speaks with authority and respect as someone who has met many challenges head on to come out the other side a stronger and more capable leader. Today's leadership topic for this podcast is leadership in a time of disruption. And by gee, Shannon, we are right in the <laughs> middle of that as a society at the moment. Shannon would, would like to talk about how she developed her view of leadership and what things she thinks about in terms of preparing leaders of tomorrow. It's certainly a theme within this podcast series, a, a great theme actually, that we, we see lots of leaders that I speak to talk about the future beyond themselves. It's wonderful. So what a great topic for us to, uh, to explore. And certainly I'll start out by posing that watching leaders in times of duress or when things aren't all rosy uh, generally shows their true leadership. What's your view on that? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think, uh, thank you for having me, first of all. Wonderful. I think we definitely see the best and the worst of people when they're under stress and pressure. But I think that's when a true leader's real vulnerability comes out. And I think we saw that during the bushfires and during yep, COVID. We did. People took a real interest in the human side of leaders and how they were portraying themselves and being able to make decisions. So I think it just goes to the fact that people want real human interaction during times of crisis and that's what makes a great leader. They want that, but I'm going to say that that's not necessarily something that's gained easily. Definitely not. I think it takes a lot of trust yep. to be able, trust in yourself, but trust of others to be able to do that in command and control situations and in when there's, you know, disasters and when people really need support, they really need a strong leader at the same time, which makes leadership incredibly challenging. If I take you back to your earlier life, and I, I think it's intriguing that um, your, your <laughs> earlier career you know, began or you had a period throughout your uh, early life where, as a sports scientist, mm. uh, you would have seen leaders operate back then and it probably informed at least to a degree your own leadership journey. So can you reflect on that period for, for yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think um, growing up, I guess, in sport as opposed to where a traditional HR person grew up in a, in a public service agency, maybe or a graduate program. Growing up in sport, you see a different side of people. You see people who are really pushing themselves so far because so much of it is monetized, so much of it is about their performance, which I don't think we see in traditional organisations. No, I think we see um, people who want to perform versus people who slide under the radar maybe. Yeah. But in sport, in elite sport, you can't slide under the radar because then you're no longer elite. So what I saw leadership look like in sport was very different to what I think would be acceptable in a traditional public service agency or and I guess in any HR or leadership agency. I um, Now we're talking about that, that part of your life and, and certainly I can, I'm, I'm sitting here reflecting on my own life and uh, I 
was in, I'm in a family that has a um, swimming fraternity background and my mother was a senior administrator within the uh, Queensland swimming environment. And so I got to see that culture mm-hmm. of culture and expe- expectation of performance. And by gee, it was a sharp edge sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why so many excellent athletes and excellent uh, sports scientists and people who work in a sporting environment have to be at the top of their game all the time, not only with uh, intelligence and knowledge, but also their emotional intelligence to be able to survive. Uh, And so I think that translation of elite sportsmanship into leadership positions is what we are now seeing more broadly as well. notion of a feedback cycle Mm. uh, which to me is one of the things that that environment that we're now discussing Mm. elite sports uh, that that feedback cycle is pretty sharp and pretty uh, pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, look at coaching. Yeah. Yeah. The, what what a HR person or a leader sees as coaching in our environment mm. versus that sporting environment are two different things. So in a coaching environment and a sports field, it's perfectly acceptable to say that was rubbish. Don't do that. We don't want that. This is what you need to do. Very direct, very personalised still to that person, but the lack of emotion behind it is it's all about the performance in our environment in a corporate world that would not always be the best way to do it you would have to be much more emotionally aware of what the situation is the context the person you're dealing with their skills their abilities to be able to give that feedback but I think it just demonstrates the value of trust in a relationship and respect in organizations to that point of emotion or or clinical approach versus mm. the need to you know, consider and account for people's emotions. Oh, I see that particularly in moments under duress, and I imagine that you know, elite sports person about to walk onto a, to a pitch or field or into a pool versus a senior leader in an organisation who's probably about to step onto something quite similar, even though they don't see it like that. Mm. And you see the sports person, they're clear with their mission, they're clear with their focus, and maybe we don't always get that with senior leaders. Yeah. We get the, how can I describe this, we probably get a version of that, but we don't get the clarity that we get. Uh, and that's a shame because I think you know, to the, to the point of our discussion today, leadership in, in a time of disruption requires leaders to be sharp mm-hmm. and to identify the moments in their day that they need to pay really close attention to, to other moments where, you know, they're not big, they're not so big a issue. So it, just talk to that, that, that ability to discern between the things that matter mm. and the things that don't matter and what, what you think a senior leader needs to think about. Yeah. So... For me, I think finding a balance between those key points and when you have to go and when you have to pull back are really important. And if I use like a sports scientist, I guess, analogy around, we talk about when the body is in homeostasis, it's in balance. So it doesn't always matter that, you know, something, a, a critical part of the body isn't working because another part of the body might leverage off that and might come up to the part. I think as senior leaders, what we need to do is work out what that balance is. So if something isn't working, then what lever do we have to pull to make something else step up for that to be able to reach homeostasis in our organisation, in our team, in our culture? So So are you talking about a person being self-aware enough mm. to know that there are times where to, to achieve that, get back to that point of balance and being able to be an objective 
uh, leader, they might have to reach into the network. They might have to connect with a mentor. They might have to step out of their office for a while, go for a walk. Yeah. Um, do these things play? Yeah, I think you've got to use every tool at your disposal to be able to reach into what is possible for you and your team and your organisation. I think especially if you're a leader, you really have to not only be an example for yourself in terms of looking after yourself and making sure that you have a balance in your ability to make decisions, but how you're going to, like you said, reach into a network or look up something that you didn't know and, and be okay with not knowing and asking someone else for help. But that scares the hell out of some leaders, Absolutely. not knowing. Absolutely. Particularly the ones who go, oh, the, the, the little voice in their head saying, I'm a senior leader, I should know, yeah. I, I should have the answer, I'm a fraud. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite an interesting dynamic and I think to your point, uh, once people accept that they're never going to know the answer, it actually gets a little bit easier. Well, that's it. And look, I've been there where I think, oh gosh, if I don't know the right answer, then I'm a failure. But the ability to be able to find out and the ability to be able to say, I don't know, shows an incredible strength and incredible maturity that I think people need to recognise as a sought after skill and be able to talk about that from a growth perspective is what will make senior leaders and, and up and coming leaders have the ability to know that they can do that will be really powerful. Because the up and coming leaders, they look at what's being modelled. Absolutely. And that's where I think cultures can either go in a good direction or cultures can go into some dark places yeah. because of what young leaders see and what they think they need to be mm. to become that leader in the future. For sure. And I think we, you know, we talk about the, the shadow that a leader casts in that how people um, make decisions, the way they portray themselves, everything you do, it touches someone in your organisation. Yeah. So you're always on show, you're always on display, um, and that's, that's hard. Just um, honing a little bit on disruption mm. or periods of disruption. Uh, we all particularly after we've been playing the, in the game for many years, we, we get to see examples of those who do it quite well mm. and those who you know, virtually fall off the stage. What's been some of the positive things you've seen in senior leaders uh, in their interaction with disruptive or difficult situations? During the most recent pandemic, um, we've seen leaders remain really calm and I think that's been incredibly important for people to see that no one's panicking, we're making decisions, and this is the image that we're portraying. Now behind the scenes, yeah, well, that, that, there that, would be... <laughs> that, 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 that notion of the duck on the water yeah. with, the, with the legs going <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think we all see that as senior leaders. We know the long hours, we know the amount of effort, and the amount of work, but the, the panic versus the controlled chaos is very different. The notion of uh, and I'm going to draw on a, a Peter Drucker uh, expression here, and, and, and Peter's words were, the, the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence, it is to act with yesterday's logic. Mm. And can I just get you to speak to some of the behaviours of effective leaders in your view, how they approach that future? Yeah. Do they stay true to something they've known all, their whole life or, or are they more adaptive? So I think uh, for me there's a, a key link between the success of a leader uh, in their ability to change their mind. So I think one of the quotes that I really love is that we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So I, I don't know who Was said that, that. Albert Einstein comes to mind, but, but, but I don't know. Don't, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not going to say that as a fact audience. Yeah, so I think there's something in that, in, in that the way we made decisions the day before, we can use all the intelligence we 
we had and with the right information at that time to make that decision. But we have to be able to say, things have changed. Maybe you could say, I was wrong. And that's a really powerful statement for someone to say. But the more powerful thing is, I've learnt from it and this is what we're doing now. Yeah, exactly. Now, we cannot talk about disruption without <laughs> talking about change. No. And change for me remains as one of the areas that leaders, you know, junior leaders making the jump to senior leaders, junior people becoming a, lead, a team leader for the first time. Mm -hmm. Change and the ability to affect it in a positive way remains unfinished business for me and I don't I, I've got an, an amount of knowledge about it but I don't have all the right answers I don't get it right myself uh, but I know me saying that that I don't get it right is actually a positive thing and I and I embrace that so in the context of disruption how important is a leader in being able to cope with change I think it's one of the critical skills that's often overlooked. So we talk about it, or you have to be a good change oh, manager. Oh, we talk about it so it's, much. Absolutely. It's one of those things. It's on every position description. It's in yeah. every interview yeah. question. Yeah. But what does it actually look like in real life? So do we actually live it? Do we walk the walk? The, you know, going back to basics, can we do what we say we're going to do? Uh, and I think for me, I look back at, you know, I went through a lot of change as a teenager. I didn't finish high school, but I still went to university the same time I would have. And that was all about change and just putting one foot in front of the other and the ability to go, well, you know what, that path didn't work. So I've got to try something else. I've got to take one step at a time to still get there. And I think that's where change can go wrong. We try and only focus on the end goal and we don't think about all the little steps in between um, and that's something that I've always taken with me through anything is that no matter how big the end goal no matter how much change that you need to go through just put one foot in front of the other and you'll be fine yeah there's a um, expression about um, if you're going through hell yeah keep going, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and I've seen it, lived it, yep. uh, you know, in the future we'll have a lot of opportunities to personally be connected with that expression. In terms of change, one of, the, one of my beliefs is that, and this is probably one of the things I would say to someone who's seriously considering you know, taking on a more senior role, is to understand that by changing or by leading change, by being involved in change, you're going to piss people off mm. and you're going to, in fact, probably create enemies. What's been your experience with that? So the courage to be disliked is really um, central. Uh, yeah, really central to I think being a leader yep. because we've got to make decisions that we know other pieces of information that others don't know and sometimes that's okay for them not to know and you have to take the hits as the leader and that's why you're in that position of authority. I think it's though the way you make people feel throughout that change that's really going to stand you in good stead so it's okay to not be liked but knowing that um, you're doing the right thing for the organisation, for what, whoever you're working for, for your people that's where you're going to have to make well, and, and to that point one of the things I, I try to remind myself of and this is um, knowledge that came to me from a, a mentor who's very uh, important to me. And the, the point that is, be, that is clearly in my mind now forever is about being hard on the issue but soft on the person. Mm. And I think if we can do that well, it minimises that 
all the energy that comes off a change moment where you, where you do have people becoming either angry, disenfranchised, uh, whatever. Because I think some people, even though they're in that situation, they're on the receiving end of it, or they feel like they're on the receiving end of it. I think some of them can actually look deeper and see that you're actually not trying to do this personally. Yeah. This is just, um, it, it is what it is, and it's part of the mission and the objectives of either the thing we're trying to improve or the you know the, the mission of the organisation. It's it's quite interesting. Just uh, given uh, time frame, I'd like now to move into the uh, next session, or the, the, it's actually the final session of our chat, which is the five standard questions that I ask each people that I have a discussion with. The first question uh, for you, Shannon, is uh, what do you wish you really understood? Uh, I really wish I understood how I was going to cope with two teenage daughters in my house in the future. <laughs> that is uh, something I wish I understood. But then I go back to um, I wish I understood how to use all the skills that I've built as a coach, as a leader, to influence not only them but people in the organisation. And I wish that I could, at the very right moment when I need it most, that all of those skills would be able to come together. And I wish I understood how I could harness that quickly because sometimes I, I don't always do that and that's no. that's hard to do. And we, we, and we have good days and bad days yeah. with that stuff. Uh, two, what do you wish that other people understood about you? Uh, that I am intensely shy <laughs> and intensely uh, an introvert uh, and so I find though that with the nature of these jobs and, and my role that that's not an option. Uh, so I'm, I'm very shy, I'm very introverted and I like my own thinking time. Uh, so for people to sometimes think, well, why is she in her office with her door closed for half an hour? Um, I really just need time to recharge and re-energise before I go out and yeah. do the, the big yeah. thing that we normally have to do. Yeah, and, and I've certainly many uh, leaders who are introvert by nature, mm. uh, the smarter ones have worked out that they can do that and rightly so do it, as opposed to maybe your average extrovert who's <laughs> dying to get out there again to get in the people's faces and, <laughs> and, and sometimes, unfortunately, make it about them. Well, that's it. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, three, what type of leader do you prefer? Um, so this is an interesting question because it really makes me realise how much pressure we put on leaders in terms of what we want from them. For me, I want a courageous leader, someone who is willing to make the hard calls, be the person who's disliked, but do it all for the right reasons um, and take me on the journey with them and help me understand why we're doing things, how we're doing it. Um, and I also really just want someone who I can bounce ideas off and yeah. talk to. Um, that for me is really valuable because I just want to keep learning. And if I don't have that, that makes it really hard for me to, to sort of link with that person. Yeah, exactly. The image of, uh, for me, I'm just going to jump in here and say that the, the type of leader who works for you or with you and put yourself on a horse and imagine that you've got a horse which is charging and you're barely hanging on and you've got the reins and you're trying to you know, get them to go this way a bit or get them to go that way a bit, that scares the hell out of some people. Whereas I actually will always take someone like that than someone where you've got to get a whip out. Yeah, totally. or, or to use the you know, um, you know, horse riding analogy. It's, it's for me very clear that particularly developing leaders, uh, you need to give them some space. As I said, I'm always going to prefer one who's having a go yeah. um, because it's, yeah, it's hard work, particularly leaders. You know, I, I appreciate our team members sometimes. You, you, it's a bit of a battle to motivate and get them to uh, keep going. But you know, I, I do have pretty high expectations of people who work, leaders who work with me. The next question is, uh, in respect to your own leadership development and knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself? 
Uh, so I would definitely say become a student of leadership. So you're going to make mistakes, but wouldn't you rather make mistakes with some knowledge behind you and, and be able to position yourself to make the best calls at the time? So I've made a lot of leadership mistakes and some of them were just dumb luck that I came out of them okay. Yep. And the other ones though that I could make a mistake with knowledge, I was conscious of what I was doing so I could learn from it at the time and it's a bit easier on yourself as you're going through your leadership journey to be purposeful in your decision making as opposed to just you know closing your eyes and wishing for the best. Wonderfully put I must say. The the final question which is very much about the reality the very clear reality that as a leader you have to give bad news sometimes and uh, as I've learnt myself you tend to, I don't know if it's true or whether it's just my perception, the more senior you get, the more often you have to say no as opposed to yes. But going back to the point about delivering bad news, what's your view? How should you do it? How so should I, you do I'll it? I'll use a, a sports science type analogy again in that if we want our muscles to grow, we have to put them under pressure and we have to give them something to improve themselves each time for them to be able to Even gain more really strength. Even though it really aches in the morning. Even though you get sore. <laughs> and if you push it too far, there's injury. So you don't yep. want, it's, a, yep. it's a fine balance. It's the same thing with giving bad news, that you can't sugarcoat it. You can't make it something it's not. If you don't, nothing will change. Nothing, no one will improve if you give them news that just keeps the status quo. So um, I think definitely giving an honest perspective thinking about the person who you're talking to and their world and their context at the time. Yeah. Um, and definitely, um, I would say you have to do it, um, especially during this time where we're working from home and remotely, if you can see their eyes, if you can see them face to face, whether it's video conference or whether it's per in person, yeah. that's going to be your best way um, to do it. So. Definitely not a uh, TikTok video or anything. <laughs> not a TikTok, although, <laughs> Jesus, I, I can't believe that, you know, even in terms of relationship breakups, that people, you know, which is apparently the younger they get, are, the more likely they are to use a, a text message or a TikTok or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. Well, as a, as a Gen Yer, I can yeah, say, I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. would definitely not use a TikTok to tell bad news, but, you know, I might use it to share change information yeah. or something if yeah. it was appropriate for the audience and the context. And I think that's where we've seen leaders really excel in that we haven't done the status quo. We've done different things and that's that's where people are interesting. That's what makes humans human. That Exactly. And I was going to say that some of the research which talks about why leaders are hesitant to be direct with bad news, apparently uh, some of the very clear messaging that comes through that research says that there's a great fear of being disliked yeah. as a leader. Yeah. And it's really quite interesting that that gets you know, sucked into this vortex of where it shouldn't be about that, whether you can be liked or disliked. It should be about the truth of the matter. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, look, and again, I, I don't get this right myself all the time, but I have a red hot go. And I find that preparing well can actually help you. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you've got to prepare uh, to not be liked. Yep. I think you've got yep. to prepare though with all the information you have and thinking about the other individual and, and be prepared to be criticised. And I think, um, you know, Aristotle said there's only one way to avoid criticism and that's do nothing, say nothing and be nothing. Um, and I really believe that uh, sums it up for a leader. Exactly. Now I'm going to uh, provide one more quote and that is uh, a John F. Uh, John F. Kennedy quote, which I, one of the quotes that I, I do I do admire, and that is that change is a law of life 
and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. Now, in the context of our chat today, which is about disruption, what's your final perspective on that? So I think um, we don't know what's coming in the future other than we can expect change. And more disruption. Yep. <laughs> so I think the more we can plan for being uncomfortable, the better we're going to be. Indeed, if we take that a step further and actually say we're preparing for it yeah. and accepting that there'll be moments of discomfort in every day of your life, yeah. I think it does get easier. It's been wonderful having this discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you for your commitment. I know that you're a very active leader in terms of supporting other leaders in their journey and sharing knowledge. And I think it's such a great and healthy cultural behaviour of a leader to do that. Thank you for the role you play in helping other leaders. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andrew.